me, I'm Michelle. And I'm Dana Marie, and we are Empowered to Advocate. Our goal is to help parents and caregivers uh, navigate the often confusing special education process so that they can become the best advocates for their children. Tune in every Friday for your tip, tool, or strategy that can be implemented right away so you feel confident and empowered to be the best advocate for your child. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to another episode of the Empowered to Advocate podcast. Michelle here, and I'm with Dana Marie. Hi, everyone. And today we want to have a conversation with you about something that comes up, I wouldn't say super frequently, but frequently enough that we think it's really important for caregivers and their children to recognize their right in this case. Mm -hmm. And this is when you refer your child for an evaluation and the team comes together, including you and the school district says the child is not eligible. And this doesn't sit right with you either because your child is continuing to struggle in school or um, you just really feel in your gut that your child needs specialized instruction and or services in order to progress. And this can always feel a little sticky because one, a lot of caregivers don't want to be adversarial with the team. There is a lot of trust between a school district and families, and there should be because in most cases, everybody is on the same team, right? And always coming to the table, we talk about this a lot, coming to the table, believing that everybody at that table has the best interests of your child in their frame of mind when mm -hmm. making decisions. And the thing about special education eligibility, especially for students with less visible disabilities, Sometimes there is a fine line where there can be some subjectability in the decision-making. And hear me out on this because it's not always a direct line. So as a little review of the eligibility process, in order to be eligible for an individualized education plan or special education, your child needs to have a disability. So autism, specific learning disability, health disability, a physical disability, intellectual, and so on. The next question that teams are looking at when determining eligibility is if the child is making progress in school, right? So sometimes a child can have a disability, an identified disability, say ADHD, and that would fall under the health category, but they're progressing. They're they have friends, they're regulating their attention and their emotions well. They're doing well in class, right? They're making progress. So the child would not be eligible. But let's say they are not making progress. The next question is, is the lack of progress due to the disability? So this is where teams are also looking at what was the impact of COVID instruction? Unfortunately, that's a reality that's made things real tricky. It's made things real tricky because it's a reality. Um, 
has the child had a lot of absences and nobody is like, your kid hasn't been in school. You're a bad parent, right? But if your child hasn't been in school, whether it's for illness or appointments or cheerleading vacations or like whatever, that's something that's going to impact their progress in school because they're not there to get their instruction, right? So <clears throat> that's something else. So child has a disability. Are they making progress? If they're not making progress, is it due to the disability? And then the last question is, does the child require specialized instruction and or services to make progress? So specialized instruction would be something like Wilson Reading, Orton-Gillingham, um, specialized math instruction in a small group, right? Um, speech and language services, occupational therapy services, things like that. The, that is then if the child is falls into all those categories, they are then eligible for special ed. So sometimes when teams are looking at testing, especially for our young friends, especially for our younger friends who missed instruction due to the COVID shutdown in their foundational educational years and or have had some interrupted instruction either due to moving or from absences or whatever, it can be a little bit trickier to kind of tease out, like, is it a disability? Is it lack of instruction? Is it... Um, and sometimes kids are, it's not a disability. Sometimes they're just a slower learner. And when we're thinking about school and how it is structured is not always an ideal structure for all learners, right? So not every human being is an A-plus student in that learning style. And that's okay, right? So your child might have Cs and you might be thinking they should be a faster learner they, that just might be how they learn, like how they demonstrate their skills in this type of setting, right? So, because there's all different types of learners. So, um, and they might excel in like another way and it may not be a disability. So there's all these things that the team, including you, are looking at. So that being said, you're really concerned about your kiddo. They may, they're not making progress or they're really struggling. They might be particularly struggling in one's area. And you come to the meeting and the team says, well, they're not eligible. And you don't agree. You don't agree with that. I'm going to turn it over to Dana Marie now to talk about like what are the next steps for you as a caregiver that should be discussed at the meeting, or if you need a few days to kind of process that happening, it doesn't have to be something that's talked about at the meeting. And with that, I'm going to turn it over to Dana Marie to talk about next steps. And I think that you brought up a good point earlier that I want to highlight, which is that most people come to the meetings wanting a resolution, right? They want to support the child that the meeting is for. So before you get to even the next step, I do think it's worth leaning into the conversation at the actual meeting and bringing it up at the time and saying, 
I don't agree. I disagree and see if there's a conversation that can ensue during the meeting um, to come to some sort of resolution. Of course, that does not always happen, like Michelle said. And so after the meeting, there are things that can happen. Um, I should note at this point that we are going to talk specifically in the next couple of minutes about the state of Massachusetts, but each state has their own process and their own sort of guidelines and procedures around um, this this next piece. And so if you are not in Massachusetts, a, a Google, a quick Google search should be able to help you bring up the procedures and guidelines for your state. And if you have questions, reach out to us. We do um, we do know the guidelines and, and regulations for other states as well, but it's, it's too much information to, to put in here. So a quick Google, like I said, will get you that um, brochure or guidelines sheet or whatever. So in Massachusetts, there is what we call the Bureau of Special Education Appeals. And so it's sort of the governing body that oversees special education in the state of Massachusetts and helps to mediate these decisions and conversations between parents, caregivers, school districts, etc. cetera. Um, and so there are two different kind of approaches and two different ways to go. If you are, whether it's about eligibility or another part of the IEP, it could be placement, it could be services. If you've gone through multiple iterations of conversations with the school district and the school team, if you have attempted on multiple occasions to come to an agreement. If the school is still proposing something that you just do not agree with, like I said, whether that's not el eligible or something else, and you've really tried and now you're you're losing time, right? And now time has gone by and you're losing time and you just don't feel like you can get to an agreement with the school district. That's probably the time when you want to bring in the BSEA or the Bureau of Special Education Appeals. And there are two routes um, that parents, caregivers, and families can go. They can go the mediation route, which I'll come back to in a second, the mediation route with the school district, or they can go the route of a hearing, which is a little bit more involved um, and, and might not be necessary in all cases. I should note that most situations, conversations can be and have been solved, for lack of a better term, with mediation without having to go to, to a hearing. A hearing usually involves lawyers um, and, like I said, a more sort of intense process. Mediation is exactly what it sounds like. So you will be assigned a mediator to help you, your family, and whoever is on your team, outside service providers, advocates, so on and so forth, mediate the conversation with the school district. This person's role is not to make a decision. It's not to tell either side what to do or what not to do. It's really sincerely to help facilitate the conversation and see if there's a way that the school team and you can come to an agreement. Generally, that's the first kind of approach in the first step. And like I said, generally mediation can be helpful and can help the parents and the school teams come to come to an agreeable decision. That said, it doesn't always happen that way. And so there is due process and there is a hearing process in each state for special education. Like I said, this looks a little bit more um, 
like a true hearing with lawyers on both sides where the school team and the school district is um, equipped with their lawyer and where you as a parent are also equipped with your lawyer as well. This tends to be, like I said, for cases where you are not able to come to an agreement through mediation. It depends. Each case is very, very different. Um, and you may have a lawyer that you're working with now, and that is the best person to ask about your specific case. What route is the next best route? Um, if you are working with an advocate, whether it's us or somebody else, this is the best person to ask what the next best step is, but just know that there are those two sort of different routes to get to an understanding, to get to an, an agreement. I should note that in Massachusetts, but in other states as well, right on the website, the appeals website, there are forms that are pretty simple that you fill out that help to jump start the process. Um, so you can go to, in Massachusetts, for instance, it's mass.gov, the Bureau of Special Education Appeals, like I said, and there are forms to request a mediation. You can request a mediation as a parent or caregiver. Just know that the school district can also request a mediation if they're feeling on their side, like an agreement can't be, can't be made at this point. I should also note that in the IEP, usually in the letter that comes at the beginning of the, the IEP, the N1 letter, there should be some sort of statement of your rights as a parent to appeal. Um, so the school district should be informing you of your rights all along. Um, but one of the things that they should be informing you of your rights about is an appeal process, whether, like I said, that's about eligibility or another part of the IEP. They should also, we talked about this in another episode, they should also be providing you yearly, annually with the parent procedural safeguards, which is just your rights as a parent and student in the special education process. And so those a little bit more information there. Um, the, a conversation for, for another day is requesting an independent evaluation to get more information mm -hmm. to help lead to some sort of um, outcome agreement between you and the school district. But quite frankly, that's a whole other um, that's a whole other episode yeah. and a whole other conversation. But just know that that is part of the process and that that might be the next best step for you as a parent is to request an independent evaluation, something to support what you're seeing um, with your child's challenges, but also something to just get more information about what's going on with, with your child. So there are there are many different routes to take when there is disagreement, whether it's about eligibility or any other part of the special education process. And just know that it really sincerely, I know we say this all the time, but it really sincerely is individualized and it really mm -hmm. depends on um, what the process has looked like up to this point and what is going on for your child and with the school team. And so whomever you're working with, if it's anyone, that's a great person to start asking. Um, and it might just be worth a reach out to the Bureau in Massachusetts or whatever the governing body is in the state that you reside in and say, here's what's going on. What's my next best step? And they can sort of help guide you, um, whether it's into mediation mm -hmm. or into something different. 
And I think the last thing to really note here is even if your child was not eligible at one time, that doesn't mean that they're never going to be eligible. So like I said at the beginning of the episode, sometimes we test kiddos when they're really young, kindergarten, first grade, second grade, and the testing, the standardized testing that is utilized then, while it can be a great data point, it can be one tool to use, sometimes doesn't accurately catch more of those specific learning disabilities per se, um, or even things like ADHD and stuff. It can be really hard to determine a disability uh, for certain disabilities at that young age, especially where we now have a generation of kiddos coming up who maybe didn't go to preschool, who maybe kindergarten was interrupted. Their, their testing may just not give us the most clear picture of who they are. So you might have some concerns about your kid. The teacher might have concerns about your kiddo when they're in first grade. And the testing might really not show who a very clear picture of who they are as a learner. And it might not be until the end of second middle of third grade where it's get, we can get a cl more clear picture for them. So even if your child was not eligible at one time, if a year, two years, three years, four years down the road, you're like, I'm just still like concerned here, you can re-request an evaluation. You can re-request your evaluation. And sometimes, and I've been on teams like this, it might be the beginning of the school year and there may not be enough information or maybe the child was out a lot and it might be, you know, we know something is happening here. We need to give them some more time and the team will then come back and reconvene with the same testing, but with updated progress measurements from response to intervention strategies, from improved attendance, from things like that. And then it makes the picture much more clear for if the student, if it's a disability that's impacting them in school or if it's something else. So um, there are, it's a fluid process. So don't feel like it's one and done. For sure. Um, so that's a lot of information for <laughs> today. I think a couple of takeaways, I, I meant to actually, note this earlier. I think this is really an important piece um, of information. In the fiscal year 2022, the BSEA in Massachusetts conducted 588 mediations with an 82% agreement rate. And so, like I said before, if you're thinking of trying to, <laughs> to bring someone in to help um, you in the school district come to some sort of an agreement, mediation has worked in the last year. 82% of the time. And I think that's that's really important. And sometimes it's just helpful to have a third party there to help facilitate the conversation. If you're wondering if that's the right move for you or if requesting a hearing is the right move, your one tangible takeaway from today's episode should be to head to the BSEA website, which is on mass.gov. There you can find the reference manual that was just updated, um, actually within the last calendar year, I believe. And it has a table of contents at the beginning and will bring you through 
the difference between mediation and a hearing, how to request due process hearing, um, what it looks like, who the hearing office, offices are, how to withdraw, all the different pieces of, of this process. And I think that's super helpful if you're thinking that it might be the next move for you. Awesome. And we'll link that in the show notes as well so that you have easy access to that. All right. So that was a lot of information to digest. So if you have questions or you have concerns or you're not quite sure what the next step is, go ahead and schedule a 20-minute consult with us. We can try to answer the questions that you have in that 20 minutes or discuss how we can support you going forward. And so grateful to have you here. Hope this was helpful for you. If you have any other questions or topics you would love for us to address in upcoming episodes, please email us at empoweredtoadvocate at gmail.com. All right. Until next time, friends. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for tuning into this week's episode. We hope that what you just heard is easy for you to understand and you are able to go ahead and implement it and take action right away. We always love to hear from you and how things worked out for you or what questions you have. Please email us at empoweredtoadvocate at gmail.com or visit us at empoweredtoadvocate.com and schedule your 20-minute consult with us today so we can find out how we can best support you to best support your child. See you next week. Listening to our podcast or participating in one of our live webinars or sessions, you acknowledge that Empowered to Advocate provide thoughtful, comprehensive, and data-driven coaching and advice. By participating, you understand that this service is not legal advice, nor does it constitute legal services. It is understood that E2A is serving in the role of coach and consultant to you on your child's behalf. In participating or listening, the parent or caregiver understands that there are no guarantees of success in obtaining the outcome desired by the parent or caregiver. The parent or caregiver agrees to hold Empowered to Advocate and any coaches working with them harmless with regard to the outcome of meetings, services, hearings, etc.